listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love, your host. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Today, you're in for a treat because we're getting a front row seat listening to a trench-level expert talking about how we earn trust with clients. How do we build rapport with prospects? We're going to answer those questions and more in our interview with Phil Flora today. Now, Phil is the VP of Sales and Marketing for Leopard Solutions, which is a sponsor of the Rainmaking Podcast. He's been with them since March of 2020, and he oversees all of the sales, marketing, and client support functions for Leopard. He's been with other companies selling services to legal organizations for over 20 years, companies like ALM, Acritus, and Leadership Connect, and a variety of roles, but all focused on client development, retention, and satisfaction. So you've got a real credentialed expert that's talking about what he's learned, and he's going to share that with you. So I know you're going to get some great ideas from the show. Make sure you connect with Phil. You can find his contact info on the show notes. And as always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, legal intelligence suite of products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. Thanks for listening, and I'm sure you're going to get some great ideas from my interview with Phil today. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to our show. This is the Rainmaking Podcast. My name is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the show. Today, we have a special guest, a good friend of mine, Phil Floor with Leopard Solutions, talking about best sales practices, how to build rapport and trust with client prospects. Phil, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me, Scott. Always great to connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great to be a strategic alliance partner with your company. I've known you for years. I've known Laura for a long time. I know we've all worked on projects together. So I like doing business with people that I know, like, and trust, as the saying goes. And that's what we're talking about today. You've been in professional sales, selling a sophisticated offering to a sophisticated niche. And what have you learned? What are some of, when you talk about best sales practices, how can we define building trust with client prospects? What's the closest thing we can come to a definition with that, Phil? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it right on the head. First of all, I mean, people like to do business with people they trust. And how do you develop that trust? I think it's important to be human. I think it's important to ask questions. And it's important to set proper expectations. And I think all of those actions, when you're talking to people, even if you're just having your initial first conversation with someone, or this is your you know, hundredth conversation with someone, you always want to start with just good, honest questions about what's going on in their in their lives, their work experiences, and then uncovering from those questions opportunities where we could provide value. And then when you're providing the value, you're setting proper expectations that you're not over-promising and then setting yourself up for failure and under-delivering. The worst thing you can do is put yourself in a position, again, you've already established the trust, you already established the relationship, and you take that for granted, right? So right. each part of the process, you're always cementing that relationship further, or you're starting that, that relationship. And it's always important just to be a human, you know, sell to sell to someone the way you would want to be sold to. Well, you make it like sound that. so easy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it comes natural for people when you're honest. And and when I think, you know, at the end of the day, just, again, we're all people, we're all human. I use this uh, saying a lot in um, our sales team, you know, we're not rocket scientists, we're not doctors, we're just, there's no one that's going to get hurt from things we're doing other than us just not being truthful and honest in our approach. Yeah, that's um, right. 
putting people in the best the best opportunity to succeed, I think is is the most important aspect of what I try and, and do when in my sales approach. That's great. And so let me kind of walk back a little bit. I like what you said, ask questions and set expectations. And when you're saying it like this, I envisioned my coach in sports when I was a kid talking about the fundamentals, how you have to master the fundamentals. And I would think what you're talking about, asking questions, setting expectations, those are pretty much fundamentals of sales. Is that a correct assumption? A hundred percent. Yep. I mean, it's like the first thing I learned from sales, I've been in sales now over 20 years. You know, it's, it's funny. I think part of my sales tutelage came from, because, you know, we're both golfers, Scott, you know, I, I grew up around the golf course and you grew up around people that were older than you, more mature than you. You heard the conversations, you heard how people spoke to each other and, and golf is all about honesty, right? And, right. and, uh, <laughs> and uh, being honest and everything else. So I think I learned from an early age, just from external experiences like that. But that's where it all comes back to, like the fundamentals of developing a relationship. And the relationship right. could be a work relationship or it could be it could be a personal relationship. But again, all those fundamentals fall back to those same principles, in my opinion. Right. And think back to people that you've seen in sales where they didn't make it. They're selling a B2B service, a sophisticated service. What are some of the challenges that they've faced where they didn't succeed in learning how to ask questions and expectations? I mean, I think, you know, some of the areas where people kind of trip up in the process is, you know, again, over-promising, under-delivering. Mm. I think it's, you know, saying, yeah, yeah, we can we can do that. We can definitely do that. We can get this done. We can meet your expectations. We can have it done by X date, you know, providing a certain price for the service and then that price changing, you know, because of unknowns in the process. All of those things, I think, are easier conversations to have with people when you're upfront and honest about the entire process and what they can expect, roadblocks along the way, you know, and then because once you have that experience where you have a, a great, you know, sales flow or motion with a with a prospect that turns into a client, those clients will then vouch for you, be great yeah. referral sources. Yeah. Right, and right. that's how and that's how your business really grows. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, again, go back to what you said initially, people do business with the people they like, right? And trust. And, you know, I think you got to start somewhere. So you got to start with that. You know, everyone wants to get to the prize in, in 0.5 seconds, but you got to develop that. And that comes with time. So I think those obstacles and I always feel come back to, you know, again, that over-promising, under-delivering, rushing to the to the finish line, not taking the proper steps and being thorough and and ensuring that all all points along the process are, are accounted for and that everyone's no hidden burdens or, or obstacles come up along the way that can really that really put a bad taste in the process. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So what is it that you would coach someone or what would you coach someone? Let's say they're joining your company, they're working with you, you're their sales manager, and you're talking about what questions to ask. What's kind of a general framework that you've seen works when you're dealing with a client prospect to sell your services? I think it's important to understand from the prospect that you're talking to sort of their the day in their life, what are their challenges? And it doesn't necessarily be challenges related to the service or product that you're selling. You just you should understand what are the, some of the challenges in general of, of them just getting work done. There's just not enough resources on their end. Are they they don't have the the support internally? Do they have, you know, goals that are extremely challenging that take 
take away from time to invest in certain, you know, tools that can help them or, you know, they haven't found the right expertise in the marketplace to help fill those goals, you know, just generally understanding the challenges that they're facing and then kind of understanding the processes too, because you learn a lot not only about what you can do to fill those needs, but you can also understand a lot about, you know, sort of the next steps, right? So let's say we establish, okay, there's some challenges there, our service or, or product offering can fill those needs, but is it likely to like come to uh, an opportunity where this will be an engagement where we can work together? I mean, right. there could be there could be stumbling points after the fact where internally they just won't get approval for it, you know? So it's important to have that. And you have those, this way you're setting your own expectations properly. As a salesperson, we can get off a meeting. How many times have you gotten off a meeting? And we're like, oh, that was the greatest meeting ever. This person's buying everything. And then you find out that it's just not going to happen. And a lot of that's because... You just didn't understand all the all the circumstances in the in the buyer. You're talking like the buying journey that they have to experience on their end to get those approvals. Right. I liked what you said, the buying journey. What do you mean by that exactly? So, you know, there's like essentially what you would see almost, I mean, it, you have the qualification of the of the conversation, then that sort of that that understanding that those questions that you ask and understanding the the buying process. And then from there you sort of you know, what are the next steps on your end to get a process approved? How can we meet those needs? What does that timeline look like? How is your budget as aligned to this? Would this be considered in your budget? Is this where you have to get new money? You know, understanding sort of what they have to do on their end to get approval, as well as what we can do on our end to arm that person with the information they need to, we're being essentially an advocate for them and an extension of them, providing them the resources they need so that they can get the approval for whatever service or product offering you're you're offering. So it's a journey, it's a process. And then once it, it comes to a positive outcome, it's not over, obviously, it's now delivering on on that, you know, service or that product that you delivered. And then maybe asking for referrals, maybe saying, what else can I do for you to service you further? You know, that's that's also part of it. So it almost yeah. becomes like a like a circle. It comes all the way back around. I mean, that's exactly what the image I had in my mind when you were describing that. And I love what you said, the buying journey. And I think that's good for people with, and we're in the game of business-to-business sales, or if you're an attorney or professional service provider, you're still having to sell work. And I 100%. think it's good. When you said the buying journey, I think that gives us the listeners an image that it's this journey where we look at the making sure that we have their commitment to going forward. And I like what you said, what are the next steps on your end? What is your budget? What's the timeline associated with this? Is this within your budget or do you have to get new money? So it's almost like you and your client prospect are advocates working together. Like you said, that word advocate, you're partnering now to get the deal done internally. So you know, you've got somebody that's committed. And so let me ask you this. There's been a lot of change in the world. And for several months, it seemed like the world changed every month, sometimes twice in the course of a month. And I think we all have realized that nobody can predict when that next natural or man-made disaster is going to occur and things will change again. So I think people just understand that's just the way life is. What were some of the things with COVID and B2B sales, professional services selling? What do you think changed with COVID? What were some of the biggest changes and even the things that you learned from that experience? That's a great question. I think, 
you know, again, we I've been in this business uh, a little over 20 years. We're used to being in person quite a bit, right? You know, developing those relationships in person is always has been a little easier for me, at least. And I'm sure for others as well, because you're you're able to be authentic. You're able to have those meaningful conversations and get people to be focused on speaking with you. Right. When you're in person, they have they're forced to, you know, sometimes when you're on when you're on Zoom or on phone calls, conference calls, people are multitasking, right? They're like typing yeah. off on the side and yep. trying to listen to you half of the point. I think what's changed is that we've been able to develop real life scenarios where we're coming into people's homes, right? So yeah. we're now we're able to sit down with someone, especially as we're having, you know, video conferences, you know, so tell me, you know, how's things going? How's your family? Like, again, establishing sort of using questions, but not, you know, we talked about questions to understand sort of their work life challenges. But, you know, from COVID, I think we've been able to still develop relationships with people because we've been able to peer into their home. You know, they have their dog walking in the background. They Mm -hmm. have, you know, children, I'm sure, running around. You you need to balance that. So I think from COVID, a lot of those initial uh, conversations start off by just understanding sort of their living conditions, you know, how's things, you know, in their world as far as their personal life and getting to know the people more authentically that way, which again, kind of cuts down some of the walls and it allows people to jump into a conversation and actually spend meaningful time with each other and not be distracted by other things, really try and make sure that, you know, everything around each of the people that you're speaking to is, again, authentic and and true and human and all those other things. So I really feel like that, you know, it's interesting. I, I mean, we're gone back. Things are opening up now and we're starting to go to conferences. We're starting to do in-person meetings. But I'd still say almost 90% of my client you know, conversations now are coming via Zoom. And I yeah. think it's it's been as productive, if not more productive, you know, and it's, and a lot of it has to, again, come back to that, to that understanding of what's going on within the person's life that you're, you're speaking with and really getting to know them as much as you can. I think that's great. What you said, getting to know them as much as you can. One change that we've seen in our practice of recruiting attorneys is that usually on our next step, I talk to a candidate, present the opportunity. Next time we talk, I'll even suggest a Zoom meeting. And Mm -hmm. I even use the language I'll say, let's schedule our next meeting meeting via Zoom so we can get to know each other better. And personally, that language is very uncomfortable for me because <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to say so we can get to know each other better. Like we're friends now. But I found that when I'm talking to people that are making a very important decision about career options, they want to get to know the person that's going to help. Hundred percent. You know, so I I take that for granted. I talk to a dozen new attorneys a day about career options, they might not talk to a lot of headhunters or at least those that really know how to do it very often. And their move, the risk that they have with me is greater than my risk in talking with them because if they make a bad decision, it's over. And so they want to get to know the people that they're working with. So I found that I think it helps the relationship go deeper and more quickly when we can have Zoom as a tool in the next step. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so, so let me ask you this. Let's talk about objections. And when I first got into sales, I learned, you know, I learned a lot of sales training by going to sales seminars and things like that. And they talk about overcoming objections, rebuttals. And then when I started teaching people how to recruit, I wouldn't call them rebuttals. I'd call them afterbuttals. I'd say, mm-hmm. well, let's, you know, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's talk about that. We kind of affirm they have a concern about something. Let's make sure we can find out what that is. How is it that you deal 
with objections from your client prospects? And what would you advise people to dealing with objections and the things that they're trying to sell to their prospects? It's a good question. You know, objections can come obviously in many different forms. You know, you get the constant refrains, you know, I don't have time, you know, I'm not interested, you know, especially when you're prospecting and stuff like that. Again, I think it's important to really understand sort of, uh, you know, who you're talking to. And when you're trying to set establish that initial meeting, you know, email is a good tool, in my opinion, doing this. So like we can do, you could do some research on people. Everything is out on the web, right? So yeah. you can find people on LinkedIn. You can understand a little bit about who they are, their career trajectory. You can obviously research the organization they work for. Come armed with information about them. Come armed with information about their organization as much as you can. Yeah. And I think I think that can help again, break down some of those, or at least nip some of those objections in the bud, if you will. Because you, again, you're trying to be authentic. You're trying to be all about them as opposed to about you. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think objections come up when you just get on a phone call and you just start regurgitating everything about you. I mean, I get calls all the time from people and you know, I offer a lot of the similar objection refrains. But I do I do respond to people when they say, you know, hey, it looks like you went to Monmouth University. You were on the golf team. Yeah, you know, right, I played right. I, I played golf in New Jersey, you know, and I, I respond to that. You yeah. know, there there are things <laughs> and then that opens the doors. Now you could have objections through the journey from you know that buying journey, those things objections that come up. You're at the point where you've already sort of cemented some relationships. So those objections are not shocking. Those objections should be ones where the two of you try to work together to overcome them. And it's not just an objection to keep you away, if that mm-hmm, makes sense. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So I think when I talk to my team and when I talk to others in the business, again, I always try and say, establish the relationship first, get the, get the trust as much as you can, and then work together to try and overcome whatever objections there might be. Because those objections might not be them speaking to us. Those are the objections that they might be getting from behind. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. And that's, that's, important to remember that. So let me ask you this. Tell me of an example of a client of yours, someone that told you no at first, they gave you an objection, but you overcame that and they bought your service and now they're a raving fan. And you don't have to mention their names, of course, but kind of walk me through that journey. Yeah. I think one good example of that was, you know, and a lot of it would probably come down to I would use the example where maybe I just didn't do a great job in the beginning of that mm-hmm. conversation. So so I spoke to someone that actually I did have a good relationship with that had a perception before we even spoke about sort of the service that we offered because of prior experience of working with our service or understanding what that service might have been five years ago. And they knew me, but didn't actually take the time. Like neither one of us took the time to really explain sort of what we did. And they just made some assumptions around the fact that, you know, this is not the right fit for me, but, you know, Phil, it's always great to connect, yada, yada, let's, you know, talk down the road. Okay. But what I did sort of overcome that is, you know, still maintain that relationship, still maintain that, that trust, 
because I then provide some sort of thoughtful information periodically on what I think could be meaningful and helpful for them in their career. Not necessarily would solve a problem right now that they're having, but something that they could read that they could think would be high level in importance that they could share around internally that could potentially make them look better or look yeah. good to their peers. We did do that and a couple of examples of some kind of content, free content that that was helpful for this person. And then they were able to get other people on a call that I didn't necessarily have that relationship with. Mm. From there, I was able to spend the time to really demonstrate the value of our product, how it can meet their needs, how it can meet those folks' needs. And it also almost opened the eyes of the person that I had the relationship with. Well, wow, I didn't realize that you guys did that, Phil. And you wish you, you know, wish you would have told me that or kind of thing. But <laughs> it, it gave us an opportunity to almost reset the process get others involved in the buying process and the buying journey. And then we were able to, as a group, be able to push through that deal to the finish line. And then now they're, you know, they're like one of our biggest advocates. So that's fantastic. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot in speaking to you during our interview today, Phil. So as we could kind of bring it home into a close here, if we could summarize what you've talked about, what would be three action steps that you would give to people that they could really take to to start increasing their effectiveness at building rapport, building trust with clients? How would we distill that into three action steps? I mean, number one, I think, is taking sort of um, a internal approach and, and like do like almost an internal audit of yourself and your process. Understand sort of what you do right now. What is the process? What's worked? What's not worked? What are the areas of improvement? And then I would advocate for sales training of some sort to improve those areas. I would say that's sort of number one. So sort of like an internal audit of yourself and kind of go from there. Number two, I would say is, you know, always kind of always, I love reading stuff that comes out on the web. You know, like I love following people on LinkedIn and reading things on LinkedIn and on, you know, in in the different news publications where I see that there's an opportunity for some piece of information that could be relevant to someone that I'm either trying to talk to or even existing client. I share that information. So it's digesting, you know, the data that's out there, information that's out there and trying to provide that to your prospects is sort of a value add. That's great. Um, And then number three is, you know, I go back to it, but always setting those proper expectations and being human. Those are my biggest uh, things that I always try and, you know, preach when I'm talking to people. That's great, Phil. This is fantastic. I've learned a lot from you as always today. And by the way, Phil is a tremendous golfer. Uh, I've seen him hit 300-yard drives before, (laughs) so props to you. So uh, tell us about then with Leopard Solutions, what is it that you'd like our listeners to know about your offering and how it can help them? Yeah, so Leopard Solutions, we are a data provider. We we pride ourselves on the on the accuracy and the quality of our data. We gather data on law firms and attorneys. We cover over forty three hundred law firms in our database. We update it twice a week. We have historical information going back in some cases almost twenty years, which allow folks to understand sort of trends and and um, understand sort of uh, the direction that law firms are doing, growing, and so on and so forth. So if you're in the legal industry, if you're a recruiter, if you're a consultant, if you're a vendor service provider, if you're a law firm, law school, in-house department, anyone that's in the legal industry can find value in what we offer. And they offer, you know, this this value that can support, you know, their their goals, depending on what they are. You know, but we we love information. We love data. We just did a survey of in-house counsel. We're doing a white paper on that. 
you know, we Laura Leopard started the business 20 years ago. Diversity is a big initiative for us. We did a women leaving law survey earlier this year. I know she spoke about on, on mm-hmm. your podcast, this big passion of ours. So tracking diversity is, is an important part of what we do, but just, you know, ensuring data quality and meeting our client needs. Research is sort of recession proof as well. Right. I always feel <laughs> you know, during good times, you have people, you know, organizations have money to spend and, you know, they get the resources they want. But during downtime, you got to make good quality decisions and good having good quality research can help support a lot of those decisions. So, you know, again, we pride ourselves on having that. So that's great, Phil. Thank you for being a guest on the show today. And also thank you to you and your company for being a sponsor of the podcast. And I look forward to having you and Laura here back on the show in the next few months, Phil. Thanks for I joining me today. It. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.